Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. This is episode six of season six, and I'm your host as always, Andy Davis. This week, we're attempting to scratch one of independent KBB Retail's most persistent itches, and that's whether or not you should charge a fee for your design time. But specifically, we're looking at whether that does or doesn't fit into how you qualify your customers. In other words, how you work out if they're just going to waste your time or not. Are you the fifth retailer they visited that day? Are they more interested in price than design? Are they carrying a Ren brochure under their arm? You know the kind of thing. So we'll be talking design fees and spotting tyre kickers with three top retailers. Jonathan Neen from Creative Interiors in the Isle of Man. Anna Rock from Colin Mayer Design in Dublin, and Nick Warrington from Stuart J. Warrington in Macclesfield. But first, maybe it's because I am now naturally a fat old man with a white beard, I'm increasingly loving all things festive. Sure, there's presents, great food, family and friends, but all that pales into insignificance next to the KBB Review Christmas Window Competition 2022. Yes, it's back and bigger than ever, and if you're listening to this while rummaging in the storeroom trying to find the same tatty Christmas tree, spindly tinsel and half-working lights as every other year, then stop right there. We're looking for the best Christmas window displays in the independent kitchen, bedroom and bathroom retail market. We want reindeers, Santas, lights, trees, holly, shaking stevers, nutty holders, someone trying to stop the cavalry and a snowball for grandma. All you need to do to enter is take some pictures and post them on Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn and use the hashtag KBBXmas22. You've got until December the 9th to enter and you could win 500 quid for your favourite charity courtesy of our sponsor, Kuka. Good luck and Merry Christmas. Okay, so let's talk design fees and qualifying clients now with three, count them, three top retailers, a proper full house. We have Jonathan Neen from Creative Interiors in the Isle of Man. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, Andrew. You're our first guest from the Isle of Man. Thanks very much for having us. Well, that's quite all right. My memories of the Isle of Man are I went there as a child and, and was sick all the way there on the ferry. Yeah, well, if the weather's not good, things don't change like that. It's still the case, I'm afraid. The place itself is beautiful, but that was one of my memories of when I was six. Then we have Anna Rock from Colin Mayer Design in Dublin. Hello, Anna. Hello. Hi, Andrew. Nice to meet you. You too. And then we have Nick Warrington from Stuart J. Warrington in Macclesfield. Hello, Nick. Hi, Andrew. Good to meet you. You too, sir. You too. Now, look, Jonathan, let's start with you. Give us a little 10-second uh, pricey of Creative Interiors, what you do and the kind of customers you have. So Creative Interiors, obviously based in the Isle of Man, we are primarily a kitchen showroom. So we've got two German suppliers that we deal with, and we've recently gone into bathrooms and wardrobes and dressing rooms. We like to be involved in a full project, so we'll undertake any associated building work, as well as obviously the kitchen, the bedroom or the bathroom. And we're looking for mid to high end clients. Excellent. Anna, your turn. Tell us a little bit about Colomay Design. Colomar Design is a family-run business, right? So it's not a huge corporation or anything like that, but it's a really nice company. Uh, we do a lot of bespoke cabinetry. Uh, we have fairly well-qualified cabinet makers, one of the best ones I have actually met in my life. And I'm very proud to be part of the team, yeah. We look after the projects from uh, start to finish, and we look after even the full fit-out. Uh, so it's not only the kitchen, but we can look after, obviously, the entire home renovation if required from the client yeah and what about you Nick fantastic family business there in Macclesfield yes we are coming into our 40th year next year we've been an independent kitchen studio and we also have a bathroom and plumbers merchants at the rear of the premises we're firmly in the mid-market although we've obviously been looking to move upwards I suppose like everybody else 
over the last few years, but we just aim to provide people as simple and stress-free experience of buying a new kitchen as possible. So we'll manage everything for them and hopefully deliver an exciting new kitchen for them at the end of the job. Which is great. So we've got a fantastic cross-section of designs and services and retail there, which is fantastic. So Jonathan, back to you, because it started with you really. You did a social media post asking for some advice, some points of view on whether or not you should charge for your design services. So outline your train of thought for us of what got you to that position. My background is is I'm a joiner by trade, so design work. You know, obviously we I've done it. I've done it for a good few years now, but we seem to be going through a bit of a bad stage in attracting, shall we say, time wasters. So I was looking for ways to qualify our potential clients better, but also I did raise the question of you know should designs be chargeable because I do firmly believe that the amount of time and effort that goes into doing the design, I do not think for one minute that that should be free. And my trail of thought in that is if a potential client has to pay for their design, uh, an initial payment, so it could be refunded once they sign up, to me, they become a lot more serious. I think free designs is open to absolutely anyone it could potentially attract the wrong people. And so, as I say, I was looking to see what alternatives there were out there, what other things people do, other than put a design charge there, how they qualify so that we can get rid of our time wasters, as I call them. You know, obviously, we do qualify people. We do get them into the showroom, first of all. We do get a budget from them. We do discover what they want and when they want it, whether it's part of a bigger project. But as I say, you know, it's finding out what else was out there, what other methods people use, and how many people are at the moment charging for designs. It's a fascinating debate. It's one that's been going on for a long time, that should you charge or shouldn't you? I've never met anyone who doesn't want to charge. Everyone wants to. It's whether or not you think you can do with your audience. But I think it's very interesting to, to put it through the filter of, of the qualification of the customer. You know, are they going to waste your time or not? Now, look, it's no coincidence that I've got Anna and Nick on here because, Anna, you do charge and, Nick, you don't. So let's start with you, Anna. You do charge. Tell us your process. How does it work? And when did you decide to do it? Yeah, so what Jonathan mentioned is actually quite understandable, right? I think we all, and same as any other businesses, we are all trying to filter your clients, right? And to just make sure that we are not wasting the time for clients who are actually just going from one shop to another. And looking at the qualities of the company and the services and the products that we provide. Yeah, we do believe, like many other companies, that we provide extremely well-organized service and, and presented service to clients. Now, I myself come from a, obviously, design background, so I'm not the owner of the company. I work here as a design manager. So I would be the one mostly involved in, in producing all of those designs, consultations with clients. And from my office, basically, the potential sales would uh, would go. So yes, we've noticed a huge amount of time being seriously wasted, even though I believe, you know, our social kind of media and, you know, whatever, it's well built. We know the qualities of, of the company. It's not always that easy. So look, we know that there are risks involved in that and we are prepared for that. We don't know how it's going to go in the long run, but we are willing to try and see whether it works. So far, it's proving well. So the way we try to 
to do is obviously from the initial contact from the client, our website is built in a way for the initial submission. In a way, it's it, it's obviously we are asking client for contact details and this is our first contact. Now on the website, clients immediately having an option of choosing three different options for their budget. So our website basically is stating immediately three different options, three different categories of the kitchens that we do. So that immediately and already gives the clients an idea roughly financially where the company is, which I believe is really, you know, a start off point of selection, right? After that, once we received that initial inquiry, we contact the client immediately with further questions and those questions would be related to what's the project about and we are asking clients to tell us briefly obviously what their hopes are whether it's a new build or new extension we are asking them of sending us an architectural plans whether they have them or maybe they have rough measurements and from that point we are capable by looking at the plans and initial measurements we are capable of estimating the project And what we do, we create a proper estimation and we are sending this off to client, asking them and explaining to them, this is what we provide and what we can provide based on your requirements, right? Or initial answers. And if you're interested, we are very happy to go further and, you know, have a proper consultation with the client. And we take them basically, you know, for the consultation. And this is really the most important and crucial part of the whole process. Because during the consultation, right, once I know the client comes into us, I know the client comes into us already with a clear idea of how much that project can cost. So we obviously already eliminated fears or or stress of the clients not knowing how you know the project and how much can cost they already know what the cost may be so the cost is already almost out of the line here and now the second part of the whole process would be myself talking to clients then explaining the values and you know the extensive knowledge and experience of the company and obviously show the company in in our best and and positive delight and after that I'm showing the clients what my capabilities of the actual design are I'm showing them potential and you know even sometimes similar projects that I've done in the past explaining what we can provide to them apart from the design service we provide also to clients a project management, which is a huge part of our company at the moment. Uh, So clients can feel safe if it comes to all of the technical part of the project. Sorry, at what point in that conversation are you talking about a fee, like a fee for you to design it? Yeah. So this is the, the part where I believe is very important. So because every client is different, right? And when I know that I've built up the reputation of the company, right? And I explained the client all of the benefits of going ahead with our company. This is the point that I'm explaining, right? And because I'm telling clients, it is quite time-consuming process to produce all of those designs, right? And the 3D. So I'm explaining what's involved actually in producing those 3D designs, right? And then even afterwards, potentially sending our project manager to site, you know, for measuring the site. So this is the point where I'm asking the client, 
do they feel comfortable because there is a fee of 250 euro involved in the process of designing and you know looking after their project are they feeling comfortable with that and we came to the point where yeah more than 90% of the clients are saying yeah of course like there is no problem with that so this is how it happens for us so you're front-loading as much information as possible. You're giving them a ballpark which you feel would immediately eliminate people who don't have any idea what kitchens cost. So you're immediately giving them an idea. And then once you've sold the, the company and your value to them, then and only then do you talk about a fee. Right, okay, so let's move to you, Nick, because as you put it, you're much more of a mid-market kind of company. I guess you've got a lot more kind of literal footfall, people walking in off the street to having a wander around type customers, I imagine. You don't charge. Talk us about why. Why you don't? I think as a business, I look at who our competition is, and and that's quite a diverse section of the market, really. So we will have people coming in who have been and looked at a B and Q kitchen, and we will have people coming in who've looked at other independent retailers. And Howdens and Magnets are within throwing distance of our, our place. Uh, Ren's a short drive away. All of those are available to people to go. And, and in fact, their showrooms are spectacularly <laughs> massive compared to ours. So I, I always feel that I'm, I'm starting from a point of getting them in and showing them what we can offer that they don't offer. And that's demonstrating the service that we provide. But what I try to do is pre-qualify people who are coming in. We're not on a main high street, so we don't get lots of passing footfall with people just coming in. People have generally made the, you know, the conscious decision to come and see us. And so usually... They have looked at our website before they come. So, you know, I've updated our FAQ recently to give, it's a widespread, but it, it gives them an indication of, the, of our price range that I would be expecting them to spend if they come to us. So what I try to do is to get people to pre-qualify themselves and self-select. So if they look at my website and they see the FAQ and my price bandings look like it's outside what they're going to spend, they don't come and see me. And I'm absolutely fine with that because I can't cater for everybody and I don't want to cater for everybody. So, you know, I, I have a customer in mind and, and if they're not that customer, that's absolutely no problem at all. By the same token... Some people come in, particularly referrals, and that you know it might be a referral from someone who's had a kitchen five years ago, and we all know that the prices that you pay for a kitchen today are actually significantly different to what you were paying five years ago. So even then, you still have to manage expectations in terms of where budgets are going. And I think you know Anna made a really good point is that it's actually all about building rapport with the customer. You know, you can't dive in headfirst and ask for what the budget is at the outset and what they're prepared to spend because the guard goes up and the conversation comes to a <laughs> pretty swift end. So I take the view that I am going to, as a cost to the business, invest some time up front in seeing a customer, talking about their wants and needs and the design that they're looking for and getting good details on that and preparing them an initial design. Now, I think the reality is that the market I'm in and, you know, the typical size of kitchens that I do, 
are probably, in terms of design workload, it's a lighter workload that I would imagine than something that Anna is doing. Now, I have been caught out before on some of the higher-end kitchens that we do. So when we're getting into bespoke in-frame, where there's actually loads of design work in, involved in those and pricing those up, etc. And I have been burnt a couple of times, I'll be honest, and that's where... If I was looking to charge a fee, it's that end of what we do where I personally would think, yeah, that I can see a benefit in doing that. But in that that mid-market, my big concern is that there are people who just do not value design. And to them, at the start of the process, they are just getting a kitchen. Um, <laughs> I know we all like to think, you know, we're fantastic designers and we're delivering all this value, but there are a lot of customers out there who don't perceive that at the outset of their journey. And so introducing an instant barrier of, well, if you want to come and talk to me about it, it's going to cost you £200. There are people who will just say, yeah, you might be great, but there's lots of other people I can go and speak to, and I'll go and speak to one of those. So, Jonathan, what we're hearing here is about filtering people before they even come to you via your website, trying to give enough information that you will lose, not necessarily the people who are out to time waste, but the people who perhaps are unaware of how much kitchens might cost or how much work is going to go into them. So I presume you're doing a bit of that already, are you? But what's your thoughts on, on, on providing as much information as possible? Front? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We, we do that anyway. Obviously, the, the first thing we ask them to do is to come into the showroom because they've got to see what we're about, what we do, whether we can do what they want, whether we provide the service what they want. We don't jump straight in there and ask them for the budget. We show them around the showroom first. We get a feel of what they're after. We try and understand the sort of size of the room and we try and build a rapport with them before we ask them for the budget. But obviously the size and scale of the kitchens that we're going for. I totted up before. I think we're, we're probably looking all in to get to a presentation stage of and include the presentation and a few tweaks. You're probably looking at investing in, in at least 16 hours in a design. And, you know, when you're trying to spin six or eight of them at any one time and then it depends what your, your success rate is, but if you were spinning six to eight and you, you're winning three or four of them, you're investing an awful lot of time that's dead money. And, you know, for a business, is that feasible? At some stage, you've got to start taking your design time as an operating expense. And it's all about when when does that happen? And should it be chargeable or should it just be something that's free? And that's interesting what Nick was saying before. You know, he was comparing magnets, Howden's, Wren's, all the big stores. And I think the general consensus was this is where the problem has arisen with free design is the big stores. Whereas... A small company such as our own, you know, such as Nick and Anna as well, which are family run, they're not, you know, we're not throwing boxes onto walls. We're looking at the bigger picture and it's just making the customer understand what the bigger picture is. It's about working with them, about having an open relationship from the start. I don't consider myself a salesman, you see, you know, I'm not there to sell them absolutely everything that, that I feel they should have. It's about what they want. So it's a different service and should people pay for that? And do people appreciate that? I think the problem is because people are doing it for free, they don't appreciate the other services that are around. The issue that I have is with the use of the word free, because what we're all talking about here is that 
it absolutely is not free. It might be free to the customer, but there is an, an expense to us uh, as the designers. And I, I think it's important, and I, I try to stress this to potential customers. So, you know, I've been careful to reword my website, for instance. I don't now say we offer a free planning and design service. I say we do not charge for it. But that there is a cost to us of preparing that design for you. We're a small business, so have a look around our website and check that you feel that we are, you know, we are suitable for what you want before you come and see us. And it might only be a nuance, but it's again just steering people in the right direction of understanding that it isn't free, that it costs money. It's just that they are not being charged for it. Well, at least within my, you know, my model. This is my devil's advocate moment here. But is this just not part of the job, if you know what I mean? Like people who are shopping, whatever they are shopping for, are encouraged to shop around, get the best price, go to several places. If I was getting a builder to do some work in my house, I would get several quotes. Is this not just a part of that? Is, is it about conversion and, and people's ability to convert? You know, you're right. Like everybody is more than welcome to shop around, but we are talking about an actual service and that's, to me as a designer, it's just something that it's much different. You see to the shop and pick the sofa where I want a sofa, you know, worth 4,000 euro or maybe the one that is worth 2,000 euro. It's actually picking out the service, the company that someone will feel comfortable to spend the money with. It's deciding on who the client will feel comfortable with. And because we are providing an actual service, right? From my perspective as a designer, I'm not even talking about the overall picture of the company, but from, from me personally as a designer, it's almost like if someone is coming, right, and, and would say to me that, oh, the other company offers the free design service. Yes, I would let that person, they're more than welcome to make their own decisions, right, and just to go there. Like I come from a technical background. I've studied for a long time and um, I've gained my experience. And to me, the word even free, is really like sounds sometimes absolutely horrendous like and and it just means to me almost like I'm being worthless and everything what I've learned in my life is free so yeah it's, it's definitely a bad word even to use because to designer the word free it just doesn't sound right it's like coming to a doctor and expecting that he's going to do the consultation for free he was studying years too to actually gain to this point of his knowledge experience and what he provides for for people and that's to me as a designer it would be something hugely undervaluing my my values yeah it would undervalue myself and and you know what I've believed in all my life so yes it's hugely important that people would understand that the fact that we design for them we give them everything what we potentially can and make their life better and I truly believe that we actually do make their lives better yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think it does totally relate to the market that you're going to, you know, whether or not you can charge or not. I think that is very much dependent on your individual circumstance. Nick, how much of uh, of qualification is sort of gut instinct, if you know what I mean? You, you've been doing this a long time. How much are you sort of, you know, unconscious bias towards people who look, walk into the showroom looking smart? And can you spot them a mile off, I suppose, is the question I'm asking. 
That's a really good question. Um, I don't think you can, at least in in terms of how they dress. Not around here anyway, because you can have people coming in who look a bit of a scruff bag and they're they're going home to a £2 million house and vice versa. So I don't try to look at it from just a sort of a physical appearance thing. But there is a certain amount of gut instinct. But I think the gut instinct arises from the conversation that you have with that individual. So if they're in the showroom and you're building rapport with them and you're asking lots of nice open questions about what they're looking to achieve, what the timescales are, oh, have you been anywhere else yet, blah, blah, blah. You start to get into the conversation of what they're looking for. I'm guided by those responses. In Macclesfield, there's certain areas of the town where, you know, the house prices are significantly higher than others. But that doesn't mean to say that the people living in those houses want to spend necessarily any more money than people in in the other areas. So I'm not even guided by that. You know, they may come in, for instance, and say, yeah, well, this isn't my forever home. We're planning on moving on in three years' time. That, to me, is an indication that they're not going to go full whiz-bang and you need to steer them into the to the appropriate bracket. If I get someone in, for instance, who starts telling me how they've been to five different showrooms and they're getting five people out to do the quote, rightly or wrongly, my eyes glaze over at that point. And <laughs> because you know it is it is a numbers game, and whilst you know I can, and some people you can just tell on the conversation. I, I mean, I'm a a great believer in when you get someone in the showroom and you start demonstrating genuine product and design knowledge that a lot of people appreciate that. And for me, that's the customer that I want and that the customer that does want to be looked after and effectively their hand held throughout the whole process. There are some people, all they want to do is go and get the cheapest kitchen they can. And if they come in and say, price is my overriding factor in my buying decision, you know, and I will try and get that out of them but if that's what is their driver i'll be quite honest to say yes that's fine the reality is that you will probably be able to go and buy a kitchen for less money somewhere else it might not have some of the features the installation might not be quite as good but for your purposes you can probably go and get something cheaper somewhere else and do i really want to spend my time trying to to fight that and win them over. I know that looking at the sales that we had generally when we're doing that, the conversion rate is a lot, is a lot lower. So for me, that's that's a waste of time. So I'll happily take the risk of them walking out the door and me not spending any more time on that. Yeah, that's very important. I think that that selection is based, yes, on the type of clients that are actually walking through the door, you see, because the truth is, yes, not every client is for a particular company. So, you know, we may come, obviously, we work by the appointment on top of that. So I'm not getting actually many clients coming in just off the street, but I do get them too. So it's not about selling every single kitchen, not for our company. We try to value the work that we do as well. So we wouldn't be trying even to match even the quotations either if we would know that it's impossible. Yes, we would try to help and obviously gain every client. But if we would know that it's absolutely way out of the cabinetry that we do, it just wouldn't be possible. But it is important, yes, to select those clients and make sure that they're being advised of what type of the company they potentially may go to. What's your thoughts here, Jonathan, about what you might do next, do you think? 
Well, we have tried charging people, you know, over the last 12 months for doing that. And again, it's back to qualifying. If they're planning on, say they've got extension or they're planning on building an extension and it's in for planning permission, I will say to them then, obviously under the circumstances, because there's not a room to put the kitchen in at the moment, we will be asking for an initial charge, which is refundable upon order. Whether I go to trying to charge everyone I doubt it because, as I say, no one else on the Isle of Man is doing that. But that said, you know, we've got to try and work out a way where we qualify and try and get a bit, as I say, the conversion rate is just down at the moment, which is why we're here where we are. And it's just, it's working with them to qualify them more. But I also feel, you say, and I think this is what big part of my problem is why should our expertise our education our ip why should that be given for free and be able to be taken to other companies to be used by others i can't think of any other design profession which is free and you know you said before about builders doing free quotes or that's my background during construction i've always accepted free quotes but a builder isn't designed and the design work has been done by someone else who has been paid for for doing that. So whether or not it's just a sticky point with myself of, you know, I don't see why design work should be free. And I'm not saying we should charge for it either. I'm saying we should be have we should have some commitment up front by a client. You know, if you're going to invest 16 plus hours with a client, I don't think that should be free. And I think that's my big problem. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that is what the issue has been all along. It's that payoff between value and worth and closing a sale. And it is the classic dilemma in this industry between sales and design. Which of those things are you? We're not going to solve it here today, are we? But it's so fascinating to hear several different points of view of the same issue. And I'll be certainly interested to hear what other people think about what we've heard today. I just want to close off today, if we can, because given everything that's happening in the world, I'm just wondering how business is for you all at the moment. I think it's worth sort of checking in with people just to see what's happening in the market. Anna, how about you? What's happening over in Dublin? Well, even though the COVID hit us, it wasn't obviously drastic. Now, it brought some costs to the company, obviously, but it wasn't too bad, I have to say. Now, we had a bit of a quiet past couple of months, but now um, I think it just grew back in. So it filled in our calendar pretty much for the start of next year up to roughly in about April. So it's not too bad, I would say, at the moment. I'm just can have fingers crossed that this is the way it's going to go for us and, uh, you know, Usually, obviously, we are now going close really to Christmas time. So I I presume, you know, we're going to get less inquiries, you know, the roughly week or two before Christmas. But um, fingers crossed, like, you know, it's not going to stop in the new year and we're going to get new inquiries for potentially new extensions, new builds, maybe for the next summer. Nick, how about you? How's business going for you at the moment? We're okay. And uh, I suppose that (laughs) that's a little bit guarded. Inquiry levels are definitely down a little bit, but we are still getting enquiries. I think that the enquiries we've lost are towards the bottom end of the price range that we do and the ones that we are getting in are good quality leads and we still seem to be having good conversion on those. I'll agree with Anna that uh, particularly in October with the whole Liz debacle uh, that people definitely hit pause at that point but we do seem to be getting inquiries now. You know I did a couple of uh, surveys and quotes last week. I've got a couple booked in this week so things seem to be moving along nicely again. Okay and what about you Jonathan? How's the market on the LMM? 
This year, to be honest, has been very strange. It, it started off the first half a year very quiet, very quiet with walk-ins. I put that back down to people being able to travel more, going on holiday. Then, obviously, there's other things happening in the world. But over the last couple of months, interest has been, you know, very good again. So there's a lot more people around. Social media is busy. There's more walk-ins. There's a lot more interest around now than there was at the beginning of the year, which is which is great. And the stuff, obviously, booked in. There's big projects booked in. A lot more positive than, as I say, February, March time. Which is good news, and actually we've got three separate governments here, haven't we, talking? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we have a foreign country, we have England, and we have a, a crown dependency, isn't it? It's a self-governing crown dependency over there. And I bet you've never felt more glad to be that than in the past few months. <laughs> no, it's been, it was good. I mean, obviously COVID, the borders locked down, you couldn't get on or off the Isle of Man, which obviously uh, has good, has bad points. But, you know, no, as I say, things start to open up again. Back end of last year, certainly this year, people start to travel more. And I think people have definitely, definitely spent a lot more money than they've ever spent on houses over the last two years. And whether the COVID lockdown accelerated people and buying, I think that was a definite. So the market, I think, obviously had to slow down. That said, houses are still selling. No problem at all over here. House prices are still at a record high. The lawyers and advocates are still busy. So, you know, there's, there's still plenty of interest round about. Well, it is, and it is a beautiful part of the world too. Look, I'm going to have to draw this to a close, unfortunately. Uh, again, a bit subject, but I think we've solved it. I think we've completely cured and solved the whole thing now, so that's fine. Uh, no one will ever talk about this ever again. Uh, so, look, Jonathan, Nick, Anna, thank you so much for your time, and we'll speak again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Huge thanks to Jonathan Neen, Anna Rock, and Nick Warrington. So interesting to hear three different approaches to the same problem there. I'd love to hear what you think. Drop me a line at andrewdavis at taylismedia.com. If you do charge a fee, are you doing it to let the client know the worth of your skill or are you doing it to qualify their commitment? If you don't charge a fee, how do you qualify your clients? Let me know. And don't forget about the KBB Review Christmas Window Competition. All you need to do is post your pictures on Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn using the hashtag KBBXmas22 and you could win 500 quid for your favourite charity. You have until December the 9th to enter. See you next time. Thank you.